Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I welcome you to the show. My name is JT, and this is Big Oh. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the JT and Big O Show. I am your host, Video Geek JT, and our other host, Ryan Big O'Regan. And bravo, bravo, encore, <laughs> encore. And joining us this week is writer, director, producer, actor, and founder of the Westfield International Film Festival, Gina Marie Rodriguez. Thank you very much for joining us this week. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. Holy shit, we have a guest. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, someone wanted to be on our show this week. It's, uh, you are officially our fourth guest, second uh, to be uh, uh, joining us uh, single-handedly. Um, oh. And uh, our first one to talk about musicals. Yay! I'm excited. Let's go. What are we talking about? Well, I mean, to be fair, obviously, um, I wanted to go ahead and talk about music. This was pretty much my idea more so, uh, simply because I think along with 4th of July and Hamilton coming out on Disney plus the timing couldn't have been more perfect for them to have done it. Um, and really, I just don't think musicals get enough respect. If that makes a lot of sense. Um, now, obviously all three of us were in the, the tri-state area, New York, New Jersey, uh, Connecticut or Pennsylvania, depending on who you talk to. And we know Broadway. Like, we see commercials for stuff all the time. Everything happens within an hour's reach of us. And really, theater just kind of gets forgotten about, I think. Especially now when everyone's talking about the stuff that's uh, not in production, can't be done anymore because of COVID or whatever, any of the reasons. And just as much as movies and television are suffering, theater has been suffering too. Definitely. So... Yeah. Uh, obviously, I wanted to talk about this with JT, but JT apparently uh, is not uh, the biggest stage and screen fan in that respect. I'm a dumb um, dumb when it comes to musicals. Yeah. <laughs> we'll change that soon enough. As soon as Broadway is back up and running, and it will be, then I'll take you to another show. That's right. You actually brought me to my very first show this year. Uh, we saw Beetlejuice together, which was a very amazing show. Uh to a degree, did now remember with that show? It was actually it had a limited uh, time on Broadway anyway because it was actually getting kicked out of the uh, uh, to, out of its theater. Do you think in the when in the end it kind of won out a little bit against Hugh Jackman there? You know, honestly, that crossed my mind, and I, I don't, I don't think anybody really wins here. It's it's so unfortunate that they had to close even earlier than they were expected to, but everybody had to close. And there were people who were really looking forward to Music Man. And I'm sure that Hugh Jackman was looking forward to it as well. Um, all of these actors are, are now out of work and not just the actors, but the crew, the producers, the directors. I mean, everybody. It's, it's so sad to, to think about, let alone talk about, but, yeah, let's let's reminisce for a second on how <laughs> that show was. So, yay, Beetlejuice! 
Yeah, tell me about Beetlejuice, because I saw enough of the commercials about it. I saw them performing at the Tonys. How close to the original movie is it? Very Not different. Yeah, it's yeah. very different Ooh. plot. But I, I didn't hate it for it. In fact, I kind of like the story to a certain degree a little better than the movie at times. Um, it. Would you like to describe the plot a little bit more there? Well, I just, I want to say that I think, I like that it was different than the movie because I can't stand when they take the exact same script from a movie and say, let's just stage it. Let's do the exact same thing that everybody has already seen except on a stage. Why do you want to go see that when I can just rewatch the movie if you're going to do the same exact thing? So I really appreciate that they took it in a completely different direction. Um, they said it a little bit earlier. I actually don't know if in the movie Lydia's mother was dead or not. Was she? Uh, she no, was. no. In, in the movie, Lydia's mom and dad are perfectly alive. It's the people before well, she had a stepmom. the house that were dead. She had a stepmom in the movie. So I don't know where her mother was necessarily, but in the show, they actually open on her mother's funeral, right? If I yes. Uh, in, in, the, in the play, they did. Yeah. And they... Um, they open with a ballad, which is not typical of a musical at all. And, and then they, of course, call attention to that. And there's a lot of fourth wall breaking. Um, Beetlejuice plays the narrative character there. So he's narrating what's happening for, I forget how long, but he's not actually introduced as his own character until a little bit later in the show. Um, it's been a while since we saw it, JT. When, when did we go see that? I think we saw that around February, like just before all this uh, COVID stuff started breaking oh God, out. Was it? Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So my memory is a little, little foggy on it. I just know that I loved it and I loved the music and it's <laughs> available online, which is what I listen to time and time again. I guess because I was never to a Broadway musical before, I wasn't used to how far they go with a lot of the set design and stuff like that. And that really, to me, was one of the most amazing things, how they were, the, the sets were like just moving in and out of the stage and things were just coming out of nowhere. Uh, I almost wanted to go back again to see the show because I wanted to see it from a different view so we get a bit better view of the uh, the the sandworm which came out from one side of the stage at one point like ate one of the characters yeah i will say our seats weren't great so that's that's on me we were kind of off to what were we house left i think all the way up in the balcony yeah and they, and they weren't bad seats but it's the the uh the stage obviously curves in so there were certain sections we didn't see as well as others but i'd, I'd say we saw it pretty well it was a really beautiful show and since it's the only one that you've really seen, um, I will say that it's a little different because they set the mood, they set the atmosphere in the theater itself. So there were, um, they had purple lights and green lights. That was like their color theme was purple and green, I think. So that was lighting up the actual house before the show itself started. And I think they had um, music playing too, like this eerie, Halloween, Tim Burton sounding music. Um, so they really got you in the mood before, before the show started. Um, but they also had a magic coordinator on that show, which was amazing. So they were doing, you know, a lot of live magic and sleight of hand, which again is not standard for 
a Broadway musical. It was its own beast, really. And But it was beautifully done. It was funny. It was heartwarming. Like, it, it had a little bit of everything. And I love that show. And I'm sad that now no one can really see it. Because I don't know... I don't know if other shows thought to do what Hamilton did and actually film something for posterity, you know? So not, not everybody has that opportunity, even though, for those of you who care, um, Broadway HD, if you want to get the free trial, I'm just saying there are some shows that were actually filmed and you can just watch them the same way that you watched Hamilton. I just recently watched Kinky Boots <laughs> thing. So there's an entire streaming network dedicated to showing uh, live performances from uh, yeah. these musicals? Yeah, and not just Broadway. I mean, they have West End stuff, and um, I forget what else is on there. But I know, I don't think they have like, too much of regional theater, but they do, they do have more than just Broadway on there, but largely it's Broadway performances. So it'd be like the stuff you see at the movie theaters where they'll sometimes advertise, hey, live from the Met. Uh, you know, a couple of nights only showing that sort of stuff. But this would be continuous, like you'd be able to watch it whenever you wanted to? It's a subscription service. So yeah, if you pay the, I don't know, maybe it's like seven bucks a month or something. Yeah, you have access to everything that's on their platform, the same way you do with Amazon Prime or any of the other paid streaming services. But you know, what I did was cheat and do the seven day trial and just try to everything <laughs> because I'm cheap. And in this day and age, we're all cheap. It's just a matter <laughs> of how cheap, you know, yes. but that's good to know. I didn't even know there was a streaming service for something like that. And I would imagine yeah. that there would be a video version somewhere of uh, Beetlejuice uh, simply because whenever you look at like commercials of stuff like that, it's usually done in more of a cinematic format, the clips that they show you throughout the commercials. So mm -hmm. there must be something. It's just a matter of whether or not the producers of the show have gone ahead and like put it out. Because I mean, even the the one we saw of Hamilton that's on Disney Plus, that was set from 2016 and the show itself had started in 2015. So it was while they still had the original cast, but it was while they were a little fine-tuned. You know, they were a little bit... Uh, not so much dress rehearsal ready. So hopefully considering it had a short run, there must be something out there. I would certainly like to check it out by the sound of it. I um, hope so, but I haven't, I haven't heard anything. I know that Hamilton, they self-financed that. Um, so that was their idea to, and, you know, self-financed from people who have money. It was still, a, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say that. they got that. They sold that thing for 75 million. All right. Yeah. I think they know how to manage their money. Yeah, they, they did well, but it was, you know, they had the foresight, to say, I think we need to record this. I'm not sure how they do the, the promotions for Broadway shows, like you were talking about seeing the cinematic commercials on TV for Beetlejuice. I don't know if they film the show in its entirety or if they really do just select moments like they do for the Tonys, like, please, we're gonna film you doing this song and this. I, I honestly don't know the answer to that, but if they do have it somewhere, I hope to god that they'll release it because it really is a stunning show well one can only hope that seeing the success of a cinematic hamilton will spur on other people to be like oh hey you know since we're not yeah. going to be up until next year let's put that out i hope fingers crossed that being said jt considering this was your first foray into broadway would you be interested in seeing other things and if so what would you want to see 
Uh, yeah, I actually would like to go see some other stuff. Uh, I'm not sure really at this time. I, I don't know what's still active. Obviously, nothing is active at the moment, but once, <laughs> once it comes back. Um, I always kind of wanted to see uh, Young Frankenstein. I don't know if mm. that's still around. Uh, kind of want to see Wicked. And there's rumors of, uh, of Mel uh, Brooks wanting to put together a Blazing Saddles uh, musical, which I wouldn't mind seeing. Oh my God, I hope. I, I would just love to see someone do like Tired on stage, <laughs> full German ensemble, just, you know, really go all springtime for Hitler with it. Speaking of which, that's what you should see, the producers. That was great. They actually made that into a, a movie, not a filmed, but an actual movie. The movie is not <laughs> the stage performance was. Well, that's the thing. It, it, that was the movie that became the Broadway show that became the movie that hopefully again will one day become the Broadway show because I wish I could have seen it during the Nathan Lane, Matthew Broderick run, but I at least had the soundtrack and I, Max Bialystok is like the kind of role I would want to play if I was ever on Broadway because he's poignant, he's funny, he's a bit of an ass, but you still love him. I, I love his characterization and actually just to swing all this over into Hamilton to a respect I could say the same thing about King George uh, Jonathan Groff's performance in the show because if there was ever a character that I wanted to do because Lord knows I can't do much of what the other performers do in regards to the singing and the dance but I would definitely want to play a King George that, that's like my ideal he was epic comic relief I love King George I love John Groff. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's like you, you don't realize it. And, oh, hey, that, that's Kristoff from Frozen. I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm surprised they even like, were able to like, swing him in there considering he was already swooped up by Disney at the time. But yeah. He's making a face. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't realize that. Who, who was playing Kristoff? Uh, Jonathan Groff, the voice of Kristoff. Um, he's the one who plays King George in Hamilton. Okay, I, I was thinking you were talking about a different actor. Never mind. Yeah, no. But the, but the surprising thing is, you know, you look at the, the presentation of Hamilton. Let's, let's just get, uh, get into that for a little bit. You look at this original cast, and you see these names that are now very well known, uh, either in the, the world of theater or outside of it. And it's surprising to see them all kind of culminated into this one little one-stage show. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. David Diggs is probably like the biggest breakout outside of Lin-Manuel Miranda. And um, oh, uh, what what is the name of the guy who's going to be in the Heights? Um, the, Anthony the one Ramos? Who, the one who, play, who gets shot and ends up uh, dying. A Anthony yeah. Ramos. Yeah. John, John Lawrence was the character he was playing in the show. Exactly. Yes. He, he was supposed to be in the Heights this last month. Uh, and that's actually going to be coming out next year instead. I can't wait for that show. I'm very disappointed that they, they're waiting to release it. I understand why, but I love that show. Because Lynn, Lynn was, I mean, big in the theater world, at least, because of In the Heights. That was his first really big show. Right, uh, that's the one that got him like the name recognition in order for him to do what he did. Mm -hmm. So it will be nice, to, especially now that everyone's had a chance to see Hamilton, to be like, oh, well, this is, like, perfect promotion for, like, his original baby, you know? Yeah. 
But um, Gene, obviously you've seen it. Uh, JT, did you get a chance to see it at all? No. Um, for at least Hamilton, the only thing I really got to see is I got to see the trailers for it. Mm-hmm. And let me ask you guys this. Um, you guys have seen plenty of uh, musicals in, 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 the, in the theater. Now, does it really compare to watching it on, uh, on TV? Because I'm watching like the, the taping, at least in the commercial for Hamilton, and it doesn't come off as, impresses, as impressive as I think it would be in the theaters. You also uh, brought up producers before, which again, they turned that, uh, that play into a movie. And I honestly, I didn't, I didn't really like the movie that much. I feel like, uh, I feel like filming a play doesn't really capture the play or the musical. There is some fact to that, especially in regards to producers, because the thing with producers is that instead of treating it like a movie, like it originally was with the producers, you could tell that these things were kind of more like stage sets and kind of boxed in and it kind of made everything a little bit smaller than it should have if they actually treated it like a legitimate movie and then just threw in the musical aspect it probably would have come off better probably in the same way that the uh, original movie was but as far as hamilton ah, there was very few times that i was like taken out of it by the cinematography whether it's like the overhead camera or anything like that so I would say in respects to something like this where it's so character driven, it's almost more immersive to be seeing it uh, that up close with the camera angles that they had as long as you still had the audience in the background. I think that was key that you actually have the audience applauding and gasping and sometimes laughing because then it's almost kind of like in your own home theater, you're still in it, even though you're not. So do you think the audience kind of makes it to a degree there? Be sort of like a, a stand-up performance where like a stand-up comedian would be there and they would get like applause and cheers and stuff? Having oh, absolutely. The audience- Same regard. Uh, something like that where the audience can still have a reaction. Like it's, it's one thing if you go ahead and watch a movie at home. It's another thing if you watch a movie in the theater with people around you. And yes, you know, movie theater audiences are kind of a little... Eh, But theater audiences, I think, they understand what's going on when it's really people up on the stage. So there's a little bit more respect and a little bit more candor and a little bit more of a true reaction that you get from them. And I think that really helps any kind of video that you may be watching of it. I will say that there is still a stark contrast in watching the Hamilton film versus Hamilton the show. I was not lucky enough to go see it live, and I'm still very oh, about None it. of us were. <laughs> uh, well, I actually had tickets to it when it was at the public. Before it went huge, it was, um, I had tickets to it um, on the night that they were doing a Q&A with Lin-Manuel, who is my idol, um, and the whole cast. And then it was the day of the blizzard. And I sat at the train station for two hours oh. trying to get into the city, and I wasn't able to do it. So I called the public and I said, this never happens, but this is an act of God. So can I please have my money back? And oh, that's not God. That's the devil. That it is. Was, well, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was really, really, really disappointing. And then it was, by then it was already sold out. Like I had bought those tickets 
months in advance. I was going to see it with a friend. She was smarter than me and took a bus in and she was able to actually make it from Jersey. I wasn't, I really did sit at that train, train station for almost two hours while they kept replaying that announcement. The train should be here in the next five minutes. Liars. <laughs> NJ Transit. It, yeah. Thank you, NJ Transit. So I missed, I missed that first chance I had to see it before it cost $500 on Broadway. Um, but I digress. The point was, it's always going to be different when you watch a stage play on a screen. It's never going to be exactly the same. But I do think that, like you were saying, having the audience laughter included in this performance helped a lot. I love that they did uh, a pre-show announcement. They included the pre-show announcement, which was recorded by King George. Um, and then they even had a little intermission for 60 seconds and <laughs> gave you a little bath. That was the shortest intermission I could possibly I have thought of. Yeah, like, I could not pee fast enough, so I had to rewind a little bit. <laughs> they did not give me... They didn't even just pause it. You're just like, oh, oh, let me see if I can do it in 60 like they usually I really was timing myself. I'm like, maybe they actually thought this out and gave you enough time to take a bathroom break. They didn't. It was 60 seconds. It was, <laughs> it was just for show. That, that's barely sandwich-making time. I don't know what yeah. they were thinking. It wasn't enough time for a real intermission. So one other thing I guess I should uh, bring up in regards to uh, Hamilton. Uh, th this doesn't come up as much anymore, but so this show is very much not historically accurate. But And there's been a lot of critics of that. Uh, what do you guys think about that? I don't know if I'd necessarily say it's not historically accurate. I mean, obviously, yes, it's putting things of history into a more palatable nature with the song and dance version that they have, but it is still based off of a book about Alexander Hamilton. So, I mean, it's as much fact as we could get considering what was still available as reference at the time, you know, cause I actually, they say it in the musical that, um, you know, his wife, Eliza, she just went around and collecting stories from people about him considering she burned the letters. Uh, so this way, that was as much insight as you were going to get in the guy. And when you do something like that, yes, maybe some things are going to be a little misconstrued. But I'd say it's as genuine and honest about the character as we may ever see. I have to disagree on that, because while it was based on uh, Chernow's book, I... I definitely think there's a lot of artistic license that was taken there. And one of the articles that I read recently referred to it as fan fiction, a fan fiction versus history, which I honestly think is the most accurate way to think of it. There are a lot of things in it that don't necessarily make sense. Hamilton wasn't like a sweetheart of a guy. You know, he was a slave owner, like 75% of the rest of the founding fathers, if not more. I don't, they probably all own slaves. I honestly, this piece attacks it from a different angle. And I think that you can see that from their initial casting saying, we're going to cast everyone of color. Like our entire cast is going to be people of color. So we already know from the get-go, this is not going to be 100% historically accurate. Otherwise we would have had a bunch of white guys up there. So I think it's important to look at it as entertainment and there are elements of truth to it, but it's not 100% accurate. I'm, even Philip, right? He's, I think in the show, they only mentioned him having a sister. 
I think Hamilton had like seven or eight kids. You know, they had, they had a number of children. Little facts like that are differing because your stakes are higher in a show if you only have one son that you're about to lose. So there's a lot of artistic license taken, but I think the mission of it is to look up to the America that we want to see today. And I lost one of my things here, but um, it's, it's definitely not 100% what happened. And there's even a moment, and it's one of my favorite moments, where um, I forget who said it, but they, one of the characters was saying that Hamilton was, uh, had a cat named after him. Martha Washington's feral tomcat was named after Hamilton. And Lynn breaks the fourth wall for a second and goes, that's true. Mm-hmm. I feel like that moment alone is him calling out, ooh, here's, here's an actual fact, just reminding you that not all of these are actual facts. Does that make sense? No, it makes plenty of sense. And I I think that's something that's been said for many years when it comes to people who direct and create plays. And I, I know I keep saying it's plays. We call musicals too as well. Um, that uh, people that get to take creative license. So it was like, we were talking about Beetlejuice earlier. It's very, very different than the actual film. And um, actually uh, producers is another good example because every time I kind of look at Hamilton and how it's so different than real life, I always think about Beatnik Hitler from uh, the producers, who's like, "Hi, buddy, how you?" And very obviously, that's not Hitler. Well, that was a show within a show, though. Well, producers is like an inception, but uh... yeah. So that that wasn't like the real Hitler, in the sense that this is supposed to be the real Hamilton. Maybe I don't know. I'm not sure that the parallels are quite the same, but I like where you're going with it. But could you not say that what we have with Hamilton is probably the most historically accurate that we could get in regards to, you know, really putting on a musical and putting on a show? If if you wanted to go ahead and do something that was completely uh, sticking to every little minute detail, could you really have made it as entertaining and as palatable? In a stage play, um, I think I think anything is possible. So until somebody decides that they want to do that, I don't know. Not that I think anybody in the near future is willing to take on Lynn Manuel Miranda and, and try to beat him at his own. Yeah, game. no, that that's that's me punching upward. Yeah, it took him nine years to to get that musical together. So uh, I don't. I'm not saying that in the future it could never be done that you couldn't have something more accurate. Maybe right now, in terms of entertainment, in a musical setting, sure, but that's because it's really the only musical about Alexander Hamilton that exists. So in that sense, yes, it is the most accurate form that we have available to us. But apparently, the the book, which I have not yet read, but I do want to read, was entertaining enough that Lynn said, this could be a musical let me turn it into one. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, if your subject material is what it is, and you base it off that, rather than, you know, scrolling through text yourself of, you know, historical document, then you're as being true to the source material as you can be. Now, take, for example, something like The Greatest Showman. You know, when that movie came out, that was rife 
with criticism in regards to how accurately it portrayed P.T. Barnum. Now, I'd like to think that at least Hamilton is more accurate to Alexander Hamilton than The Greatest Showman was to Barnum. And if we're comparing the two, then yes, I'd have to say that that was more accurate than The Greatest Showman. Yeah, less egregious. Very entertaining. Say that again, sorry. Less egregious in uh, what they say about the person. By by like a small margin, I feel like, because again, (laughs) we gloss over the whole I own slaves thing, you know, like there were definitely things that they don't mention about Hamilton that would paint him in an entirely different light. In the same way that P.T. Barnum, they just glossed over the fact that he was a horrible human being um, for the sake of entertainment and fun songs hid the fact that this is not reality. I still love The Greatest Showman. I think it's a great movie if you take it for what it is. Fiction. Entirely fiction. Yeah, it's definitely more popcorn fluff than uh, Mm -hmm. I'd say is uh, warranted. (laughs) Yeah. But then I also think back to something like uh, Chicago. Chicago is one of my favorite musicals. Mm -hmm. And that in itself is also still based on technical fact because it's based off of a play which was based off of a reporter's writings of two actual murderesses who were around in the 1920s and I think you can stick to that kind of fact and still make it entertaining even all these years after it's just I think a matter of what facts you want to show and which ones you want to admit I don't know about anybody else I mean I was actually debating this exact point uh, a little while ago because I do like um, aside from online movie trivia I do online movie debates too and the question was what was the best musical of the 21st century someone brought up uh, Greatest Showman, I brought up Chicago needless to say I didn't win that argument (laughs) and I'm a little upset by that still as you can tell but I think there is something to be said for those that can at least stand true to what characterizations they're trying to represent and what they're trying to show as opposed to really just glossing over completely for the the shake the sake of showmanship so i mean for that regard hamilton i think i don't necessarily want to say it gets a pass because yes lots of bad things you could say about the people in that era but I'd say compared to the other characters that he had to deal with, compared to the other real-life people and real-life circumstances, it's as good as it gets. I, I think is, some could be said that there's no way to truly fit anything in real life into a hero's journey. I mean, you have to always kind of admit facts and gray areas. So nothing's ever going to be perfect when it's, when it's part of real life. That's my exactly. thought. You know, you, you get as close to 90% as you can, that 10%, you know, maybe you can make it up one day. But, you know, at least get yourself the A rating. I'll agree with that. Well, I'm, I'm not saying this to like, convert you over or anything. No, no, no. You're entitled to your difference, obviously. I feel like we're saying similar things, and I can't actually tell if we're on the same page and just expressing it differently. Um, That's the beauty of this show. That's what it yeah. is. Confusing but, and messy, just like real but life. It's, it's similar to 
any biopics that you watch on the screen, you know, they're going to take artistic license too. Nobody is going to do this 100% accurately because honestly, real life is boring. It's boring. <laughs> so you have to ask something <laughs> to heighten your stakes. And, and that's what I was saying earlier. They change certain things just to make sure that there's more drama for the audience. Well, just to get into your mindset a little bit, and obviously we can explore this um, anytime, but just to rattle off, what are a couple of your favorite musicals, aside from, obviously, your love of Hamilton and Beetlejuice? Um, that's hard. Um, Wicked. I loved Wicked. I actually named my production company after a line in Wicked. Um, one of the songs, uh, I think it was Elphaba who sings that she wasn't born for the Rose and Pearl. Um, so oh. my company is Rose and Pearl Films. I was wondering where that came from. Now I get it. I, yeah, I had never actually heard the saying before until, um, until that song. So I love Wicked. Um, Phantom of the Opera, I think, was my first show that I ever saw. So that holds a special place in my heart. Mm -hmm. um, I, I love almost every musical I've ever seen. So it's really hard for me to whittle it down. But if I had to, I will say those two. So then if that's the case, is there one that you find is like the least favorable of the ones you've seen? Um... I walked out on one Broadway show. Of Ooh, my do tell. Um, and it was Evita. <gasps> oh. I'm still so sad about that because Ricky Martin was in that. <laughs> he, was, he was actually fantastic. He was not the reason I walked out at all. Um, I wish I could have stayed just to watch Ricky Martin do his thing, but he wasn't in it enough to keep me in my seat. And the, the woman playing Evita, I do not remember her name. I'm very sorry. I'm sure that she's lovely and a wonderful actress, but she was Argentinian. Um, I, I'm pretty sure she was Argentinian, um, which great for authenticity, but she, she had such a thick accent that I couldn't understand a word that she was saying. And I had never seen the show before, so I really couldn't follow what was going on because she, she was just so... It was such a strong accent that I couldn't understand. It kind of took you out of it a bit. It very much took me out of it. And I turned to my then boyfriend at the time and I said, we would have understood this better if she was actually singing in Spanish. <laughs> because <laughs> know what any of the songs were saying. Again, unless it was Ricky Martin on stage and then I was in love with him. But I, I walked out on that show. And that's, Broadway tickets are not cheap. I mean, we all know that they're not cheap. So that was a big thing <laughs> to walk out of a show. And, oh, wait, I did walk out of another show. Just kidding. I'm the worst. I'm the worst. I walked out of Pretty Woman. If I had to pick a, a show that I hated, it's Pretty Woman. I, God, they made a Pretty Woman one. It was just, I, there's so much anger when I think of that show. It's because that's one of those examples where they legitimately took the script. And I don't know if this is because the only way they got Gary Marshall's blessing was by doing this but they took the script from the movie and word for word that was the book for the the show and it, it drove me nuts because like we were saying earlier with Beetlejuice you're getting a new experience when you have a new story it's it has the nods to the film that you loved but it's its own story here I was like I could have sat at home and watched a much better version of Pretty Woman <laughs> than, than listening to these awful songs that they've 
put in the stage show. And I knew exactly what was coming because it was word for word. I'm not kidding you when I say it was word for word the same script. I could have quoted it because I know that movie so well. I could have quoted what the actors were saying while I was watching them. It, there is so much hatred that I have for that show. And I'm sorry because I know that there was a lot of work put into it. I respect actors. I respect the crew and everybody who did it. But somebody had the wrong idea when they decided to, to put that on stage. I wonder, this is probably the angriest I've ever seen, Gina. I, I kind of like <laughs> I, guys, you don't even know how much I hate that show. <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe there's something to be said because I was talking before about how you can't really capture a, a musical into a movie, but maybe it's the same thing around as well. You can't really just convert a movie into a musical. I know I'm kind of repeating what you just kind of said. I hate <laughs> remakes in general. I, they bother me just because I think that Hollywood, Broadway, whomever has the money is afraid of doing something new. So they pick something that did really well. And I don't know if you can hear my dog jingling in the background, but um, <laughs> they pick something that did really well and say, let's just do it again with famous people and maybe people will fall in love with it. And that drives me nuts because um, does anybody know the movie Dirty Rotten Scoundrels? Yes. Yes. Okay, so Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was directed by Frank Oz. That is a remake of an earlier film that flopped. And he said the only movie worth making is a flop because I can turn it around into something worthwhile. I'm not quoting him directly, but that was the general idea that you should only remake something that you can make better. If you have something that is already wonderful and loved, why would you try and redo that? Because you'll never recapture what was already done. And that's why it bothered me that they tried to take Pretty Woman and put it on the stage and didn't change anything. If they had done something different and just had an homage to the old film, I might have appreciated it more. But the fact that it was word for word the same thing drove me nuts. Because so not a fan of the hustle either, huh? No. <laughs> Do you, don't get me started. Again, I love and respect everybody who puts work into these projects. I think those actresses are wonderful. And but? But they, they, again, took the same script. They didn't even change the cons, guys. It was the same damn con. <laughs> no, I can't. I can't. It bothered me so much. And I get that there are new audiences who haven't seen these old films. But guess what? Those films are available. They can go back and watch it. So why don't you give the new generation something new? Because there are plenty of writers out there who are creating new content. And instead of giving them work, they're pulling from this pool of already successful material and asking somebody who's already established to rewrite it. Why? Because Now, to, to play into that, um, I did want to just transition a little bit into the other thing we had to talk about. Sorry. Because as far as new content and new ideas... Uh, in the musical realm. Uh, obviously, we're not going to get any stage time anytime soon. And as far as movie musicals, uh, they are far and few between coming out right now. But there is one that has kind of taken precedent um, along the same lines as, like, you know, something that you can watch streaming at home. And that is uh, the Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Uh -huh. Now, 
obviously it's not the most original plot or anything, but I do like the idea that they've done something a little bit more global than something uh, America oriented. And I, of course with, I say with Americans. Like the 4th of July, but I do like that there is a bit of a, a more culturally wide aspect being given. Has everybody here seen Eurovision already? Oh yeah, I have. I saw an hour of it last night. Okay. Just, just an hour of it. I don't like Will Ferrell. <laughs> so for me, my favorite aspect of it was Will Ferrell, who is an American, um, saying to the people playing Americans how much he hates them. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> favorite, that, that, that was a great favorite gag. I didn't even um, get to that point. I, you missed the best part. <laughs> That's fantastic. Him just saying, Americans, you're awful. <laughs> why, why don't you go stand over by your Starbucks? There's a Starbucks pair. Yeah, it's, <laughs> just find that. It was great. Um, oh, man, I don't even know where I was going with that. That was just my favorite part. But I felt that I agree with you. I love that it was more global, that I think that Americans are just being introduced to Eurovision because of this movie, whereas obviously the entirety of Europe already knows what it is. Yeah, it's like soccer, you know? It's like, we know about it, but we've never really dabbled, so. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, speaking for myself, I didn't know that it existed until this this movie. Um, but I thought it was, it was funny. I laughed, but I think it could have been at least 30 to 40 minutes shorter. There, there well, were definitely some good jokes from at least from what I saw, but like uh, the, it, I'm going to give spoilers, but the part where the boat blew up and then goes, the elves went too far. <laughs> oh my God, JD, that, I cracked up for, I don't know. I was cracking up at that line way after it happened. Like, I just kept thinking of it and saying, oh, God, the elves went too far. And I'm quoting that from now until the end of time. But what did you think about the music in it? Because, I mean, aside from whenever they did, like, the the song along uh, with everybody involved and all the past uh, Eurovision competitors and winners, which was mind-blowing as far as, uh, you know, uh, music in a movie is concerned. But... What did you think about like the original songs that they made up for it? Like, is it something that if maybe, God forbid, this is something that ever ended up transitioning over to Broadway or to stage? Do you would you think that there would be some enjoyment in seeing this stuff live? Like people would see Eurovision live itself. Um, for me, no, I I wouldn't want to see that put on stage necessarily because you already have Eurovision itself that exists. Um, in that sense. And they would need to write new music, I think, if you were going to put this as a stage musical. Oh, yeah, much more songs. Um, the one song that stands out, and that's, it's the song that was meant to stand out, is Husevic, which is, you know, that finale. Um, and that was beautiful, sung by Molly Sandin, who is apparently a Swedish pop star. Didn't know of her before the movie, but she was fantastic. Her voice is beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's funny seeing, like, a real professional singer's voice come through on that and then still hearing uh, Will Ferrell's uh, voice in the background as, like, you know, the hype man almost. Yeah, that, that was a strange choice. I don't necessarily understand it, but I guess that's the humor in it. It's not necessarily my sense of humor, but there were <laughs> aspects of the film that still made me laugh. And I, overall, I enjoyed it, but I'm very big on films that have a faster pace 
So to me, again, it could have been 30 minutes shorter and it would have felt a little bit smoother to me. I think that they, they probably had moments where they just couldn't part with them. And I get that, but in art, you have to kill your darlings. So. Well, that's the benefit I think of it being on Netflix. Netflix allows for longer movies to get made because there is no worry by uh, the theaters, the, you know, overturn of audiences and stuff like that. So yeah, a director or a filmmaker can be a little bit more self-indulgent if they know it's going to a streaming platform where the person can pause, rewind, you know, maybe even fall asleep to the movie and whatever. And that's and, how you get the Irishman. And exactly. Yeah, you get that three-hour nonsensical bullshit with all but the it talking. Also, it also feels like a new trend to me because before all of you know the world went into shutdown, I'd seen a number of movies in theaters that were two-plus hours long, and that's it just seems to be the new, the new thing. Whereas in the nineties, everything was 90 minutes done, you know, um, except for Titanic and like weird uh, exceptions that probably wasn't in the nineties. Yeah, it was nineties. That was nineties. Was yeah. it still nineties? Nineties. Everything blurs together to me. I mean, it's been like 80 years since March. So uh, <laughs> I went on enough first dates during that movie to know it was nineties. <laughs> that, that was high school days. Yeah. But it's one of those things where, yeah, that, that was an epic that compared was the to exception. all the other stuff. Now everyone wants to be an epic, so this way they can dominate a box office. But even more so on a streaming platform where there practically is no restriction and there's no uh, you know, DVD track of like you know, deleted scenes or gag reels or anything like that. You just put it all out there. Yeah. It's a good thing to some extent. But, yeah, I think on a movie like this where you, you probably didn't need – as much of the uh, the romance aspect, I think, between the characters. And and Dan Stevens, God bless him. Um, since he wasn't even technically singing his own stuff, I don't know if we needed to see his full line of love thing go on. That that seemed a bit much. Yeah, I think I that's around the time I shut off. <laughs> when Dan Stevens, well, Dan Stevens was singing. His performance was great. I thought he did a wonderful job. I was surprised by him, pleasantly surprised. But yeah, the music I didn't need to hear. Yeah, I just don't get that. I mean, Dan Stevens can sing. Uh, and you, you've seen that stuff in like uh, Beauty and the Beast. And yet, why didn't they let him sing in this? I just don't understand that aspect. I got no answers. <laughs> Nothing? No, no one? No one can help? Nope. Me? I, I don't know how Hollywood producers think, I really I don't. <sighs> Balls. Yeah, one day. <laughs> I was hoping for some insight here because it drives me nuts when you know someone is fully capable, and yet still they're kind of like taken out of the equation. Like, Maybe if that's the case, why even bring him on? Why not bring in like John C. Riley you know, or someone else that uh, Will Ferrell normally works with? Why get a, someone who actually has the chops and not let them use the chops? Maybe John C. Riley is kind of distancing himself after Sherlock Holmes. Maybe that's why. <laughs> oh yeah, well no, Holmes and Watson. Yeah, no, but. Still, a paycheck's a paycheck. Uh, they did, <sighs> yeah, they did a Sherlock Holmes movie last year. It was very, very bad. I remember seeing previews for it, but I never, never saw it. You, I was working the movie theater at the time. You didn't want to see it. It's um, think, think Talladega Nights. Take out all of the thrill of the racing and all of the nonsensical humor, but still leave the two characters being complete dumbasses. Now put that in Victorian England, you got Holmes and Watson. 
Interesting. Yeah. Not that interesting. Mind. Trust me. Not that interesting. <laughs> True. It doesn't sound interesting at all. Yeah, no. When, when, when they're trying to use like an old-fashioned camera and still trying to do selfies, that, that, that kind of humor just... It's like that. There's a time and a place for modern quips. Not during it. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> the Great Mouse Detective was better at doing that than this movie was. But I digress. Sorry, so yeah. you know me in comedy. I get very opinionated. But comedy is also really subjective. So I'm sure that there are people out there who found it funny. They're probably few and far between. But they Trump supporters, yeah. Sorry, I had to do it. Mm. Ah. So bad Ryan. <laughs> so yeah, uh I don't really have anything else to add to uh, Eurovision. And for the again, I, I kinda be fair, it was also eleven PM at night, so that was the other reason I didn't finish it. But I guess if you're a Will Ferrell fan, you'll like it. Um, because it, it felt very much like uh, Anchorman and that stuff, which I, I cannot sit through. Um, but if you can sit through that stuff, uh, enjoy. Yeah, I'd say if you can sit through it, you'll probably be pleasantly surprised by what you get. I mean, it, it's formulaic, but definitely more the musical aspect of things. I think like it's good to overshadow uh, some of the harsher parts of the acting. And Rachel McAdams can sing. Well, she she was also dubbed. Yeah, she, oh, she, she was, was dubbed? definitely dubbed. She, that was Molly I, I didn't Sandin. know. She, I did not know she was dubbed. I take that back. Yeah. No. Yeah, <laughs> that was who I mentioned before, the Swedish pop singer Molly Sandin. Yeah, Rachel McAdams. I can understand. understand. Okay. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, but Will Ferrell is kind of okay singing like i think he was supposed to be bad i think that's why they kept his voice he was supposed to be bad like i i, I still want to hear ya ya ding dong i'll give it <laughs> hey ya ya ding dong <laughs> he's the only thing that make me happy that was pretty catchy i'll say that i i was okay with that one ya ya ding dong I want to see if there's a soundtrack to this. I want to buy that. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Just it's play Yaya Ding YouTube. Dong whenever I need to. <laughs> well, Gina, thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate you coming on and giving insight to uh, musicals as well as uh, Eurovision. Um, is there anything you'd like to promote before you leave? Sure. Well, I have two films on YouTube right now, which I highly recommend everybody watches, especially if you need some levity in today's craziness. Um, one is Frame of Reference, which also has a musical element to it. There's some singing, dancing in that. Um, so Frame of Reference on YouTube and also Cruel and Unusual Therapy on YouTube, which is a short seven minute sex comedy, romantic comedy. Um, so that one's, that one's really funny. Uh, and in a completely different note, I, we mentioned before that I am the founder of the Westfield International Film Festival, which is currently producing the Black Voices Matter Festival. It's specifically an Instagram festival taking place on Instagram TV, IGTV. And if you'll go to our social media pages, you'll see more about that. Um, so just search for Westfield International Film Festival on Instagram, on Facebook, and you'll see a little bit more about that project. You can also find us on filmfreeway.com. 
and you'll see more about it. Cool. Uh, and uh, we'll probably try to tr throw one of those up on our social media as well, just to give it a little more attention. Gina, again, thank you very much for coming on the show today. We hope uh, you join us again one sometime. And uh, we hope, and I don't know what to say. I should have thought of an actual outro here. Thank you very much <laughs> for coming on to the show. <laughs> That's okay. I'm happy to come back anytime. Thank you for having me, guys. Bye. Bye. See you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, now it's time to get ready. It's time to get set. It's time to get animated with JT. You have an intro for it. I like it. Yeah, I thought it through, kind of. Um, so on this week's episode, I want to talk about a show that I just caught on Netflix called BNA, Brand New Animal. Um, it's a show by one of my favorite studios, Trigger, and the show is about a young woman named uh, Michiru who one day transforms into a what's called a beastkin, uh, basically a humanoid animal. Uh, in the world that she lives in, it's very X-Men-like, in which uh, it's made up of humans and these humanoid animals. And the, the beastkins are kind of uh, have prejudice against them. The uh, human beings don't like them. They go after them. Uh, even the opening of the show is them trying like regular humans even trying to kill Michiru for being different. And the kind of the escape for these people, these beastkins, is Anima City, which is sort of a, uh, a big founded city uh, surrounded by water, which homes a lot of these beastkins without any of the prejudice, or at least the thought of prejudice from human beings. Um, I really liked the show, but it does it does have a few flaws in it, but for the most part, I really liked it. It's a very much a very trigger show. The animation style is very similar to that to Gurren Lagann in Kill a Kill, which is sort of a a simple animation, but very beautiful, very flowing animation at the same exact time. Um and the plot is very similar to stuff such as uh, a Gurren Lagann in Kill a Kill, which it, it kind of starts off a very slow pace, almost episodic type show where it just kind of has the characters there and it'll just put them in situations and it helps you get used to the characters. And then in the same way that Trigger kind of does with TV shows halfway through, it kind of starts getting a little more serious. It dives into deeper issues, into a bigger, uh, bigger story that uh, drives all the way to the end. It's a comedy, it's goofy, but it also at times is a little bit serious. Um, I do recommend it. If I had to put it onto a, a grading scale, I would probably give it a B. And the reason for that is because even though I did like it, I think the biggest flaw it really had was it was, it was very short. And I think you could tell the fact that they were trying to jam way too much in such a short amount of episodes, which it was a, a total of a 12 episode series. Uh, there were too many times where they use exposition instead of animation to tell the story. Too many times they needed to use exposition because they couldn't uh, really demonstrate uh, certain aspects of a character. And I think it really hurt. Exposition should never really be used in an animation. You should always really be able to show and demonstrate what it, what a character has been through and what a character is doing, what a character is thinking. Um, and I think again, that's its only flaw. But it it left me kind of wanting more and to see more of this world. 
so I, I can't say I, it was a bad show if it's leaving me wanting more. Uh, but I guess it, it, it's, it's a trigger show. And if you like trigger, like I said, I know I'm repeating myself. It's, it's a, it's a good show. Yeah. Interesting about trigger. They seem to trigger the audiences a lot. Like you, you compare the work that they did and I, I hesitate to mention this, but you left out uh, darling and the Franks. Which, yeah, I, I did that on purpose. Well, but I think that speaks a lot to the mentality of Trigger. Now, the thing I've always found about Trigger, whether it's Gurren, whether it's Kelikil, whether it's Darling, and especially more so in this, and I think it's more compounded in this, considering it is just a 12 episode as opposed to a 24 or 26. When it comes to the endings of these shows, they go off the rails way too much. Like, they incorporate things that weren't even present for like the majority of the show and they just hammer something in in order to make it more of a spectacle and I just get completely lost. Like, um, same with Darling of the Franks and uh, the whole, uh, the Verm thing with the aliens and all that coming down and that they were being used the whole time and uh, same thing could be said for um, Kill a Kill with uh, all the alien fibers and stuff like that and the, you know, the rapey mother. <laughs> For some reason, they just like to go excessive with their villains to the point where it's not even the compounding that you see in normal anime where the villain progressively gets stronger and stronger and more of a threat. No, they just boom, bam. It's like all of a sudden you're like this higher-edged monster. I'm like, why? Why couldn't you just leave it a fair fight? (laughs) I think in Kill a Kill, it worked out. I I think uh, anyone who watched Kill a Kill episodically when it was first being released, like me, really got into it. Because again, like I said, the the structure of of a trigger show is episodic, episodic, episodic. So by the time you got to the introduction of the mother and the introduction of all the little nuances of this world, uh, it made an impact. Uh, It, I, I love uh, the memes out there that show the uh, the mother from Kill la Kill nudging out uh, Genzo from Evangelion as worst parent in anime of all time. Um, well, for obvious reasons, you know. But ew. it's I I think with this show uh, again, it's I see what you're saying, and that was actually another one of my complaints. I wasn't really going to mention it here, but. Uh, the ending did, was very rushed. The funniest thing to me was, you know, sometimes when they have a, the last episode, they extend it by five, ten minutes to a normal episode. The final episode of BNA was actually two to three minutes shorter than the other episodes in the series. And they had a lot. And you would think, like, that means, like, oh, I guess we don't have that much to add in. They had a lot to add in. They, they had revelations of the main villain added in the last episode. They had to wrap up all the, uh, the conflicts in the last episode. And it, was, it, it did really feel just so rushed. And that's the thing. that the, the fact that they didn't leave it on any cliffhanger or anything, they wrapped it up into like a nice, neat little package at the end. Like, oh, now everything's fine. Not really. I mean, uh, I think Kill a Kill is more guilty of that when, uh, like, basically all the villains are gone and destroyed and never to return. I think with BNA, they it's like they kind of ra- wrapped up the main conflict, but there's obviously still conflict there. And there's things they hinted at that they never really addressed more, which, like, you know, in the first episode, they talk about, like, 
well, if you think women have it bad in the, in the human world, you should see what they have it in here in the animal world. And then they never really addressed that very far from there. So I think there's a lot of social aspects that can still dive into with Anima City and some of its many problems. It's just one of those shows where it's like, it sets up a lot, but doesn't deliver on all of it. And I feel like had it just been a standard 24 issue episode sort of thing, they would have had the breathing room to do all that. Like the, a lot of the one-offs, they were kind of enjoyable. I loved the baseball episode. Yes. And, and, that's, and again, that's a standard thing. Like uh, even Kill the Kill had that with the race episode. Yes. Um, I, again, it's, they, they just have very, uh, a formula, blah, 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 blah. uh, they're, they have a very formula based thing that they do for almost all their TV shows, but it's, yeah, the baseball episode was really good. A lot of those single standing episodes were really, really good, but they didn't really reveal much in them. And then you would think, okay, we'll reveal more stuff later. And that, that's the only thing that frustrated me. It's like, there was so much story to tell there and they really kind of brushed a lot of it off. So now on the furry spectrum, which did you enjoy more, this right. or Beastars? I, I love how this is my segment and you're, I, I saw what you added into our rundown about uh, Trigger's answer to Beastars. Did you really think this was very similar to Beastars? No, not necessarily, because obviously Beastars is um, a little bit more character driven, definitely a little bit more serious, but it's hard not to note the fact that anime likes to work in trends, you know, for a lot. I mean, when all the big shonens came out, they all came around roughly around the same time. Uh, isekais, we were being inundated with them. And now I kind of get the feeling between this, uh, Dorohidoro with its uh, animal looking protagonist and Beastars, we're kind of delving more into the line of like furries. Anthropomorphics. I've I mostly I I'm only really aware of uh, B stars and BNA, and I think they were both in development around the same time because I remember people discussing them at the same time. I think the only reason the release dates are so far apart is because of Netflix. But I think they were both developed in Japan around the same period of time, um, and I don't think they're very similar. I feel uh, B stars is kind of its own world. All creatures in there are. Uh, are personified animals. Um, there are no humans whatsoever. And the, the main social issue there is cannibals versus horrorbores. Uh, so you're kind of facing like the dangers of the world. Whereas I think with, uh, with the BNA, it's more of an X-Men type storyline. It's more like these people are different. We hate them for being different. We shun them for being different, which is a, it's, it's a, a storyline done so often that even the news is uh, doing it quite often right now. Um, it's, it, it's something that we all can uh, relate to because it is something in our, in our world, but I don't, I don't see it really the same as the show is really the same. Well, no, I'm not saying that they're necessarily the same in storytelling or in feeling. I'm simply looking at the aesthetic. Like what is the possibility that before this year is done, before uh, winter 2021 comes around, could we still get another show 
about anthropomorphic animals. Do you think this is going to be the new Itsekai, uh, Neko? Yeah, and, and I'll go as far as to say there is also another show that we didn't even mention that has the anthropomorphic animals, and that's uh, Join the Pack, Seton Academy, where it's about the human, the two humans that go to the high school with all the other animals, and because of this little wolf girl, she starts her own madcap uh, pack of animals, uh, animal people. So there, there is more out there. It's just I'm, I'm, I don't necessarily know if this should be a trend like the other stuff has been. I am uh, not very aware of it, unfortunately. So uh, these are the only two shows I really know. I think the other ones, maybe I heard of them, but aren't they like more cutesy type animes? Uh, I don't know necessarily about cutesy. I mean... I'd say definitely uh, Seton Academy or, you know, Seton High, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that's definitely a little bit more comical, certainly more comical. I mean, when you have a character that's talking about uh, that, it's a koala girl, and she's saying that uh, the best thing that she's ever eaten uh, was whatever came out of her mom's butt, which actually is a true fact for koalas. You, you learn something in this show. You, they do a lot of animal facts. <laughs> I learned something today. Yeah, it, it's very educational with it, but it just plays into like all these little nuances of animals that you didn't realize. And it's like, oh. But, I mean, is that something that would entice you uh, regardless of like the look of it, simply the humor of it? Or, I don't no. know. I think with the... I think there was something to be gained with both B stars and uh, BNA. I don't think it was really the aesthetic that uh, uh, made me want to watch it. I think it was more the storylines. Again, mm-hmm. it's uh, B stars goes more into that aspect of carnivores versus herbivores. Um, BNA was kind of interesting in the fact that it's kind of again it's one of those uh, racism against animal people. But then you have uh, this person who their entire life was a regular human being who didn't face that prejudice and then suddenly one day becomes one of those uh, animal beings and suddenly is facing like people hunting her down and trying to kill her with uh, crossbows and stuff like that. Oh, that was Michiru. She didn't start off as a beast king. She was a human. Before. Yeah, she she was a she was a regular human, and then she transformed into a beastkin. And they, they even went to the story where it's like she was uh, so afraid she stayed in her house for a whole year. Then she found out about Anim City, and like the the first five to ten minutes of the show is her trying to get to Anima City without getting murdered by human beings. Mm. That is tough. Yes, and that that's good that they have like the character that kind of like plays the balance between both sides you know this way you have like the human aspect and the prejudices that you grew up with and then seeing everything in your own eyes when as a human you wouldn't be given the opportunity i think one thing that did kind of interest me uh with the show was also episode four i believe which was She's introduced to a i forget if it's a, a dolphin girl or some, some the dolphin sort of, girl yeah so the dolphin girl really wants to go to the human world because she's kind of sheltered and she doesn't realize like how much the humans dislike them. And she's invited to a party and she convinces uh, uh, Michiru to go with her. 
And the, the party is actually filled with a lot of humans who are very much in support of, uh, of these skins. But, you know, even among... I, I found it interesting because it shows you, like, even in a group of people that uh, are very much in support and do enjoy, they still have their flaws. Like, there's one or two people in the group who talk about, like, how... Uh, it's like it's cool but like yeah i would never want to be one of them and blah 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 and like yeah they're just animals and then you have the others who they feel bad for but at one point like the the dolphin girl gets tired and they don't know what to do so they just stick her in a tube where she's starting to suffocate in the water and it's like it doesn't click with any of the humans in the group like this is bad you are killing her (laughs) <laughs> but even when she escapes and stuff like that it's like you don't really see a lot of hatred from the human beings but you see a lot of ignorance yeah they they, they feel bad uh, and they feel like oh wow i didn't think that was a thing so it, i felt that was kind of interesting because I, I like uh very obviously and i think i'm not going to dive into it but in real life we've seen sort of stuff like that too before people who are in support of helping and stuff like that, but just don't really fully understand the situation. Yeah. They have the best of intentions, but the way they go about it may be misguided. Yes. Yeah. That's how you say it. Yeah. That's the ticket. (laughs) That's the ticket. I, so like I said, uh, it's, it's only 13 or no, 12 episodes. Um, it's on Netflix right now. Um, I I'm not going to call it Trigger's best work, but it's definitely good. And if you have uh, a few hours to kill, like I definitely say, give it a shot. Literally a few hours to kill. Like you know, take out the intro and the outro, and you can do it in what four hours, more or less. I think I watched this in a two day period. I uh, I stayed up for two extra hours on Wednesday night, watched the first four episodes, and I finished off the show after work on uh, Thursday. Yeah, I binged it in a day. So you you can tell how much I have on my plate to do. And, well, and I am a busy person, but it's it's a thing. If it I you as people have seen on the show or heard from me on the show, if I don't like something, I'm going to shut it off. I, I <laughs> with Eurovision. But if I enjoy it, I'm going to continue through it. And this is one that hey, I I ran through in one day. So so there you go. Yeah, that, that, that is the level of JT's appreciation. If he will actually stick with it, you know it's good. Yes. He don't, he don't quit on the good stuff. No, I quit on the awful stuff. <laughs> right. Whereas I soak it up like a sponge. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying Will Ferrell is bad. I'm just saying he's not good. Right. <laughs> okay. So from there, uh, bad, good, and indifference... We get to Big O's 3 to see Everything you want to know, past, present, and future about the world of cinema. And we start off today's segment with uh, something that will hit a little close to home for uh, JT and myself. In that it looks like there will be a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles computer-generated movie uh, from Nickelodeon. Now, the thing about this is um, we have seen a computer-generated Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie before. Didn't do so well, but I still enjoyed it. I don't know, uh, JT, if you you remember that movie, if you had any thoughts on it. 
Yeah, I actually, uh, I really like that film. It was one of my favorites. It, it actually, ironically enough, introduced me to the Angry Video Game Nerd, um, which I, I was trying to find out more about the film, and I've, that's how I ran across Angry Video Game Nerd back in the day. Um, and also, homeboy uh, Kevin Smith was in there as the, the, pizza, uh, the pizza man. Yes, right. Let's well. call him homeboy. <laughs> that's the first word that comes into my head uh, but uh, I thought it was good but very obviously uh, it didn't do well in the box office and I don't know if that had to do with the fact that it was CG or not well some may say it had to do with CG and it was a little offsetting considering we hadn't seen it from the, the typical 2D animation or the live action uh, three movie series that we had seen uh, some would also say maybe it has something to do with the voice cast, considering only big name actors were playing uh, April O'Neil and Casey Jones, and they were using actual voice actors with no name draw appeal for the Turtles, uh, which is different than what you got with um, Michael Bay's Turtles, which I don't think helped that much either. Uh, but this particular one, while it is still going to be a, a Nickelodeon property, it is being brought to the big screen by Point Grey Pictures, which is Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg's uh, company. And uh, they will be producing the film where Jeff Rowe, a constant contributor to Gravity Falls, will be directing it. And it looks like, as far as the writing, uh, Brendan O'Brien, who has done... Um, the uh, Neighbors sequel, Sorority Rising, and uh, Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates will be uh, writing for it. So this one, I feel, is definitely going to be leaning a little bit more on the humor, whereas the original CGI movie was probably a little bit more action-heavy, I would say. And it's going to be interesting seeing uh, Seth Rogen's version of Turtles. I swear to you, if he doesn't turn Michelangelo into a pothead with all of his cravings, I don't know what this adaptation is going to be. Well, this is the only reason that I'm a little hesitant about it. I'm not, I'm actually Seth Rogen. Or, did I say Seth Rogen? Yeah. Seth Rogen. Yeah. I almost said Joe Rogan. All right. Seth Rogen. <laughs> um, Joe Rogan's would be a lot different. more polarizing. Um. S- I really kind of like some of the adaptations he's done before. Uh, Preachers was a very good one. But again, uh, Preacher was very out there. It's uh, very not children friendly. And even some of these people you're bringing up and all the projects they've done, a lot of their stuff other than than, uh, the Disney Channel stuff there is not very children friendly. And even then, you could probably say that Gravity Falls was more teenager young adult oriented with uh, its writing than say some other Disney fair but it was a Disney property so it's still kind of it kind of leaned but it's a Nickelodeon property and I don't see Nickelodeon trying to go too off the deep end so that so I wonder if there's going to be any clashes between Seth Rogen's team and Nickelodeon I imagine there probably will be, just simply because it's going to be a a meeting of the minds that has to happen for this project. But um, I I, I like to think that uh, they'll be able to do something a little bit more kid-oriented. I just think that this version of the Turtles, which, mind you, we've already established that there is a bit of a Turtle multiverse 
with all the different iterations and how they kind of coexist in their own little world. We've seen it in the TV series. I do think that this will probably be a little bit more pushing the envelope. It's not going to be Sausage Party, which is probably the only other CG animated film that uh, Point Grey has dabbled with. Uh, so it's not going to be that. We know that. I would be interested to see who he gets for the voice cast. If it's going to be the usual suspects of the people that are always in his movies. Uh, if Jonah Hill is going to be in there, Jay Baruchel, um, um, what's his thing? Uh, Danny McBride, if he's going to be in it, uh, maybe Channing Tatum. I wouldn't mind Channing Tatum being Leonardo. I don't know why, but it just, it fits with his tone. Leonardo never really had a deep voice though. And doesn't, Chatham uh, have a uh, a deep voice. Yes, but also I'd say Channing's voice is probably more commanding than say some of the other ones would be. I mean, if you think about it, um, in the original um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles when it was first on Nickelodeon, they had Jason Biggs, uh, the guy from American Bahai, as the yeah. voice of Leonardo. So. Leonardo doesn't necessarily have to be like light or heavy. He just has to be commanding. By the way, what, what, what's uh, that actor's name again? Uh, from, uh, from 21 Jump Street? The one we we're just talking about. Channing Tatum. Channing Tatum. I screwed up his name before. I think I call him Shatham. Uh, just want to put <laughs> that one out. Uh, I'm not good yeah, names. I, I think it'll be interesting to see exactly what they do with it, especially when you consider uh seth rogan's work as of late because there's another project that he is actually going to have coming out on hbo max relatively soon and that is going to be an american pickle which actually looks to be a little bit more of um, a serious note uh in regards to the usual stuff he goes and does now if, uh, did you get to see the trailer at all or no no i didn't actually hear about it until i read it in our uh, rundown and i almost thought it was a sequel to sausage party <laughs> so this is a serious one well it's it's probably going to lean more on like the dramedy aspect of it the, essentially uh seth rogan is uh playing two roles in this film he's playing a uh, herschel greenbaum who is an immigrant uh jewish immigrant uh to america and he works at a pickle factory and he inadvertently gets caught in like a big vat of the brine and he is preserved in it, like, you know, almost like a time capsule for 100 years and wakes up in modern day Brooklyn. And that's where he goes ahead and meets his descendant, Ben Greenbaum, who is essentially just a stay-at-home computer geek type. So it's going to be kind of like, um, I, I don't necessarily want to say it's got like a back to a the future qualities where it's like, you know, people intermixing with their relatives and stuff like that. But I think it's going to be more of like a, a, a work ethic, world values sort of thing where, you know, Herschel's going to impart something onto Ben and try to make him a better version of himself and bring back some of those old worldviews. But, you know, using pickles because, you know, <laughs> pickles. It's all in the pickles, boy. All in the pickles. Uh, pickles. Like, I want to see this movie. I do, I do. Because I think that the, the polar opposites of the two kinds of characters, you know, someone who just came to this country, tried to make something of themselves, and maybe another person who's disenfranchised with this company and this world and everything he has to do in his lifetime. 
I like the mashing of those minds. However, why in the hell did it have to be pickles? Because they hate you, Big O. They hate you. I'd like to think that's the point. You know, maybe they're listening in on my stuff. Maybe that's stuff about, like, you know, video recording from the laptop or from the television or something. Maybe that's true. Because they know that they are going to try to push this pickle narrative and be pro-pickle in this goddamn movie when you really could have just used anything. You, why, why couldn't the brand be used for, like, eggs? I, I see that at bars. You know, you, you pickle the egg, pickle the pig's feet. Why the fuck did the pickling have to be pickles? <laughs> so he, he might just have a spy camera on you somewhere, and he just monitors you, and he goes, how do we piss off Ryan today? Fuck you, Rogan. <laughs> fuck you, Seth Rogan. God damn it. Of all the foods that you could have used, that you could have preserved, throw them into like a, a jar of jam or something. Just, God, fucking pickles. And you know, <laughs> you know there's going to be some ad wizard that's going to go ahead and start giving away pickles. I like Pickle Rick when they originally came out and they started, uh, you know, you know, wrapping those things up and selling them. There's going to be some ad campaign via pickles in order to push the narrative of this movie. And I'm going to end up seeing it at CVS or 7-Eleven or someplace like that. And I am just going to be like, like don't, don't make me not want to see this movie just because of your stupid pipple, pickle propaganda. Not everyone hates pickles, sir. They should. In fact, California, they love them. They're on all their burgers and all their meals. Actually, one of the funniest ones, I know this is going to disgust the hell out of you. We had an episode talking about Food a while back. Have you ever been to Hot Dog Johnny's? No. Where is that? Uh, it's in Buttsville, New Jersey. Okay. No, I didn't even know there was a Buttsville. <laughs> yes. Yes, there is. But, but I, uh, yeah, I have to laugh. So their hot dogs are mustard, onions, and a giant pickle. Like a giant pickle on top of the hot dog? Yes. So they, they take a pickle, like a long pickle, and they cut it up into four pieces, and they take one of those slices, and they put it right on top of the hot dog. <laughs> He's going to throw up. <laughs> oh, God, I think he really is going to throw up. Uh, you okay there? Yeah, I'm fine. I'm, I'm great. <laughs> Wonderful. I don't know. I've never had a food that disgusts me as much as it disgusts pickles with you. Um... You know, someone, though, who might have no disgust whatsoever. Uh, actually, I don't want to take over your segment, but I'm kind of interested to find out about uh, your third uh, three to see. Oh, God. Yeah, no. So if anybody could stand to watch uh, an American pickle without <laughs> right, the disgust so that I do. Make me throw up. Uh, it would probably be the newest movie star to uh, hit the... Uh, Hollywood uh, spectrum and that would simply be known as the actress Erica now if you don't know who Erica is Erica is actually an AI robot an artificially intelligent robot that is dressed up to look kind of like uh, I don't necessarily want to say an Asian woman but certainly has a, uh, a look about her that you'd say would probably not be necessarily uh, American, and she has just been cast as the lead in a movie, a $70 million science fiction movie 
um, called B, like lowercase b. I don't know if that's necessarily how you say it. It may be uh, said elsewhere in a different country. Um, but apparently, this is like the main person of this film, and I can't get my mind around it. Um, essentially, the story itself is about scientists who create an AI robot, uh, and they quickly realize the danger of creating an AI robot because we've had enough movies that have told us, hey, don't fuck around with artificial intelligence. But hey, we're, we're going to go ahead and do that again, and this time for real. And they're trying to um, perfect, uh, a, you know, being human through a non-human form. So it's kind of like uh, very introspective. Uh, it's almost going to be like a behind the scenes of how you make a sex robot, except this one's actually going to have some particular views about what they're doing. And I, I can understand the idea of wanting to be a little bit more What's the word I want to look for? Uh, genuine, when going ahead and describing this kind of a tale and actually working with a robot rather than say stuff they've done with, you know, like say Neil Blomkamp's Chappie. You know, th there's a certain um, believability in actually having something like that as opposed to something like Chappie or maybe something like, um, uh, what was that one with uh, Alicia Vikander, Ex Machina? Mm -hmm. But, you know, actors have it hard enough as it is with everything being shut down because of the pandemic and, you know, people saying, oh, well, instead of using extras, we're going to go ahead and use CGI to fill in the gaps in the background. And You know, now robots, I, I hate to take the line from South Park, but it's a good jibs! <laughs> it's uh yeah, you knew this was going to happen. They, they're replacing cashiers. They've been replacing... Uh, but actors are yeah. really actors they brought Tupac back to life to make another dollar yes but that was with established material that's basically just taking a music video and taking out the background that's not hard to do nowadays but do you actually think that you're going to get a proper performance from an AI no, and I think this is blown out of proportion. I don't think she, if she is the star, she's not the star star. She's just kind of a she's probably as good as an animation would be. They tell her to do things here and there and that's about it. But you're never going to be able to I'm looking at her. She doesn't she looks fake. It's it, there's no way you can con, uh really convey full human emotion on camera with her. If anything, it'd be like a wooden actor, I think. Well, I mean, when you listen to what uh, Tarek uh, Zadi, who is uh, one of the filmmakers that's creating this thing, listen, listen to what he has to say. Uh, this is an article via Variety. Uh, we wanted to create a story, and we wanted to do it in a revolutionary way. A robot doesn't have life experiences, so they created this persona about those experiences and we taught her how to act now yes okay there are acting classes out there and there are certain methods that you can teach people and if an ai is smart enough it can probably go back to those lessons and try to react and uh spout off something as credible as possible with what's been taught but 
they continue to say, we found her to be the most capable of performing as an actor. Erica has the ability for natural interaction with people by integrating various technologies such as voice recognition, human tracking, and natural motion generation. She is almost human. Visually, her human-like appearance made her the best-known candidate to play this character in the movie. Now, look at her. Like, if, if you're not watching this, take a picture at what this Erica looks like. And you tell me whether or not this creation is the most genuine-looking uh, automaton you've ever seen. Because personally, I've seen things at the Hall of Presidents in Disney that look more realistic than this damn thing. I'm sorry. It's one of those things where it's like, uh, they must be doing this more for the stunt, but I hate the precedent that it sets. I always remember, you know, so many uh, writers have gotten this right for movies where they talk about what makes a human look like a human. And they always talk about it's the flaws, like you, the, the wrinkles on the face, the, the little indiscrepancies. You, you look at her and she looks like a mannequin. Her face is too smooth. It's too perfect. She looks phony. She looks fake. She looks like the kind of thing that a lonely guy would take a, on a date. You know, every time you, you say that, I just think of uh, that really awful movie, Movie 43, with the, yeah. uh, with the doll with the bad ventilation port. Yes, absolutely. Well, even more so, it reminds me of uh, something Whitney Cummings uh, said in her most recent special because she actually ended up having a sex robot made to look like her. Okay. Oh my God, the look is uncanny. Now, mind you, for Whitney Cummings, her look is very smooth and flawless, so it kind of works for her. But it just boggles my mind how you could go ahead and take something like that at least you know you're basing it off an actual person erica is not based off of any actual person as far as i can tell it is a unique structure to her face and her look and it just doesn't look right i hate to sound prejudiced to ai robots but i'm sorry (laughs) you're not there yet yeah i be honest with you, sir. I do not think this is gonna cost you any acting jobs, but uh... yet, <laughs> all right. E- e- even Skynet started very slowly. Uh, Before you so... know it, there will be entire movie sets that are completely uh, robotic and uh, uh, autonomized, and it- it's we're-, we're gonna have to fight the resistance in order to get a movie done. I'm still waiting for the day where someone creates a, uh, a device that can interact with your brain and you can just think out a movie uh, in every little detail of it. And then, then actors will truly be replaced as well as the entire film crew. Well, going back to South Park, you can go ahead and get that Amazo bot and just like have it pitch movie ideas. That's, a, that's where uh, we're going to go. Someone's going to end up putting themselves in like a robot suit a la Little Wayne in The Masked Singer. And they're just going to go ahead and propagate the idea that, oh my God, this guy's a genius. What is he? He's a robot. We can use him forever. And he's just going to be sitting in there sweltering because this is the best gig he can possibly get. <laughs> uh, to be seen in our already apocalyptic world. I, I'm saying, the, the, 
have we had enough in 2020 now we're making ai possible like no i don't want to die this year <laughs> don't worry kanye's running for president now he'll save us oh don't get me started on that shit oh that, that that's for next week Mm-mm. i'm waiting to see how this pans out since that was just announced <laughs> the other day but yeah no let, let, let let's let's put a pin in that and see if this actually holds water well ladies and gentlemen uh i thank you again for joining us for another episode of the jt and big o podcast uh you can catch us on our social media pages uh we are primarily on facebook so all our updates go there and when i'm not being a lazy bastard uh, i put videos on our youtube page um and of course our podcast is released every monday at midnight on spotify podbean and apple podcast uh until next time ladies and gentlemen i bid you all adieu fight pickles fight robots (laughs) (laughs) fuck pickles fight robots Ah.